What do you give to the person who brought your brother back from the dead? There's not a Hallmark card for that. It's not like a flower. It's not a proper gemstone. Um, I usually like to begin sermons with humorous, relatable anecdotes that connect us to the scriptures really quickly. Um, I don't have much with this one. I don't know how to connect to that because it is, uh, it is really an impossible thing to respond to. That's what's going on here. We're continuing our series on the deep end about those times when life overwhelms us. And sometimes we can be overwhelmed by a gift we did not deserve. And we do not know how to respond. John 11, the chapter before this, looks at the story of Lazarus. The Lazar- it's a really, really long scripture, but it's a very famous story of Lazarus coming back from the dead. Lazarus, the sister, the brother of Mary and Martha. Jesus goes... Here's word that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus is like, I'm just going to wait a few days. Um, and not come. They're like, what, what are you doing? You're Jesus. Go. Go help your friend. But he says he loved, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea then. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews... We're seeking but now to stone you, and you are going there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. He's going to follow through with who he is. He can't help but do that. So he goes to Bethany, he goes to this place where Mary and Martha is, and he hears the sad news. Lazarus is dead. Jesus knows what he's going to do. Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet, he's not like, oh, it's all good, guys. Let's already throw a party. He doesn't do that. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, the most succinct. That even though a miracle is coming soon, there's still grief. The grief is still real. Grief is not pretend. In the church, when we, when we have a funeral, we talk about our futures with God and how nothing separates us from God and how in our Father's house there are many doors, but that does not eliminate grief. We still miss those whom we have lost. So after this powerful, quite extensive... There are 57 verses in chapter 11. Uh, Gets through, we get to chapter 12. And it's six days before Passover, which means it is cleaning time. Everybody is cleaning. You have to clean your house really good before Passover. You've got to get everything that's ever touched anything leaven, either throw it away or give it away. Usually there might be like a little sale going on of just like any leftover bread. You just got to get it all out of your house. And so it's a busy time. It's not really the best time to come visit someone. <laughs> They're getting ready for the big, you know, it's like, I'm, you know, you're going to go visit a friend like two days before their big Christmas dinner. And they're like, guys, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. I have everything ready for Christmas dinner in two days. It's not really the most opportune time. But he goes, six days before Passover. There they made him supper because that's what they do. Martha is serving. 
Because that's what Martha does. Lazarus is with them, one at the table. He's sharing food with them. Lazarus is really back from the dead. It's not, he's not a ghost. He's sharing food with them. And then Mary takes a pound of ointment, of perfume. Very expensive. And he puts it on Jesus' feet. And then he, she wipes it with her hair. Today's sermon is titled, Looking Freaky. Um, it's about <laughs> extravagance. This is what the altar presentation is about. It's about as, trying to be as extravagant as possible. It's like the urn tipped over, overflowing. You think about what, it's hard to imagine a more extravagant gift, offering to wash someone's feet with the most expensive substance you know, washing it, wiping it with your hair. The whole house smells of this way. But part of it is like, who is the one who's looking freaky right now? Is it Jesus or is it Mary? When you offer an extravagant gift, when you receive an extravagant gift, But again, what do you give to the person who raised your brother from the dead? How can you respond to this miracle? How can you respond to this miracle? And so she offers a gift. And she receives resentment. That's what Judas is doing. Judas is resenting the gift. We always have an opportunity to resent a gift. Everybody has that chance. If sometimes you have people in your life that you give the same kind of gift every year, no matter what. And if they give slightly more, it's like, why were they doing that? That's not the system. Our system is a $25 gift. They gave a $35 gift. What is going on? It's so easy. Or someone gives you a gift and you didn't realize it. What? I didn't have anything prepared. How dare they give me a gift when I didn't have a gift for them? It's easy to slip into this resentment. The resentment that Judas has is this kind of faux piety. Oh, but what about these people over here? When John points out it's really, he just wants the money from himself. But one of the really challenging aspects of this text is not, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. It is the fact that what Mary is doing is preparing Jesus' body for death. And this is something... (laughs) that happens with all of us. All of us are going to die. In many ways, every gift we give is a preparation for death. And so you can take Judas's rationalization with any gift. Why should I give anybody a present? They're just going to die. Why should I go eat a meal with them? They're just going to die. It's like that rationalization is this never-ending loop that keeps us from relationship, makes every action wasteful. But there's power in what Mary is doing and the extravagance of it. I cannot offer you a brother back like you gave back to me. But I can offer this treasure. And I can offer the humility of myself, of looking extravagant, for you. One way of reading this text as well, with this last verse, you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me, is to read it with Matthew 25. When Jesus says, look, 
What you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do unto me on the faces of the hungry, on the faces of the poor, on the faces of the sick and the imprisoned, is the face of Jesus. So instead, some, some people, I think, have taken this text to mean, okay, so we shouldn't do anything for the poor. We just need to give money to the church, give money to the pastor, make sure the pastor has a really good car because that looks good on us. But <laughs> what instead is going on here is Jesus is saying, you will always have opportunity to give extravagant gifts to me because I will be with you. But it's going to take faith. It's going to take faith in me to see me in others. To take that step of being so grateful for the gift that you have received. What do you give to the person who raised your brother back from the dead? What do you give to the person who brought you back from the dead? We can, we can all be our own little Judases and rationalize what is the proportionate response to every act in our life. What is the absolute optimal gift exchange ratio in this world? What is the gift that I'm going to get the best return on investment? Is it to my children? Is it to my neighbors? It's definitely not to that person. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with it. There's not a good ROI with that gift. The amazing, miraculous nature of God is that our gifts are not zero-sum. God's gift to us is not zero-sum. The fact that you are loved by God does not mean that I am not loved by God. And it's so easy to slip into this mindset, to think that God's love has a limit. Because so often, often we feel limited. We feel limited in how much, we can ex- and how much energy we can expend towards others, how much resources we can expend to- towards others. We are limited in that, but God is not. God is not. In two weeks it'll be Easter, and one week is Palm Sunday, but I have kept thinking back to one of my favorite Christmas hymns this past year, this past week. So not surprise Vicky at all. What can I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him, give my heart. The ex- most extravagant gift you can give to another person is your heart, is your desire that they flourish. And it can seem crass. So often because people don't mean it. And we want to, you know, you want to give to someone who matters a lot to you. You want to give a gift that only you can give. And so you think of, okay, what do they like? What are the things they appreciate? How can I make sure to match that perfectly? When the greatest gift you have has nothing to do with the materials you possess. It has to do with your attention. What it is to give love to another person, to give attention to them to give them the time that they matter. To be willing to look kind of strange around them. Vulnerability. Mary is at the most vulnerable position. I've never seen someone wash another person's feet with their hair and perfume. I don't even know what that would look like. I can't, it's hard to imagine a more vulnerable position of humility, of knowing that everyone is probably going to be making fun of her. Right? They did. Judas was making fun of her, basically. But to be willing 
to go into those positions, to give that attention for another person, and not out of a response, not out of a proportionate response. There is no gift you can give to the person who brought your brother back from the dead. But you can respond. You have something to offer. Our life is not zero-sum. Our faith is not zero-sum. It is a work of the devil to deceive us into thinking we can't love more or share more or give more. The scarcity mindset of our soul, that our soul is not a scarce commodity that we must defend. That even when we go into positions like Mary, positions of vulnerability and offering love to others, And even if it's refused, we are still loved by God. That our faith is not in that interaction. Our faith is in the Lord who saves us. Our faith is in the God who brought Lazarus back from the dead, who himself came back from the dead. The God who has touched you in your life. The God who reminds you that you are loved and you are forgiven. Our faith is not that our interactions, that our adequate gift exchange is not going to make us feel good about ourselves, but that God loved us so much that we can step out of our comfort zone for just one moment and offer an undeserving gift to another person. We cannot match the gift of Jesus, but we can say thank you. We can say thank you and offer ourselves in some way. Taking the moment to see the humanity of another person that doesn't deserve our attention. What will you give to the one who loves so much? To the one who loves you so much that he gave everything. What will you give to the God who died for you? Look for Jesus in the faces that society dismisses. In the faces that are deemed unworthy. I think the storms came right when, when Myrna and Buzz pulled up downtown this morning for Work Corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were there. And they did not run away. And I'm so grateful for their witness and the representation of this church in that moment. Of doing your duty and offering love in an uncomfortable space. We all find ourselves in uncomfortable spaces. I find myself in uncomfortable spaces all the time. <laughs> Many spaces are uncomfortable for me. <laughs> my, my easiest reaction is to, just, is to turn inward, to go, to find myself in a book, to find a moment of quiet, to get away, to not have to deal with people. Yet in that, I'm spurning the gift God gives me of love. That God, Jesus did not turn inward and avoid the people. Jesus did not rebuke Mary when she started wiping his feet. Jesus knew that that was all she could offer and she accepted it. Sometimes it is so hard to accept an extravagant extravagant gift. We feel like we don't deserve it, or we feel like, oh, if that person's giving me this gift, that means they think I can't do it by myself. When instead, Jesus shows us a witness of receiving even the thing that is useless. 
receiving a thing that says that he is going to die. A mark of his mortality. That's what washing his feet with nard is. It's to point out that he is going to die soon. And that's also hard to take. And yet God shows us how we can receive that. And not think about the actual situation that's going on, but the heart of the person who is offering it to us. The power of that attention. And so I encourage you, this week, the rains are falling today. Jesus says the rains fall on the just as well as the unjust. It's a really powerful scripture. Sometimes life feels like the rains never go away. Sometimes life feels like the, rain is, the rains never come and it is sunny and bright. And we feel like we, we've earned all of that sunshine and brightness. And then the rains come. And we feel like we didn't earn any of it. And why did the rains come in our life? And the opportunity to look freaky with Jesus is to not focus so much on our individual circumstances, but to receive graciously the gift of love Christ offers to us. To receive it graciously and to offer it to another. That we cannot wash the feet of Jesus as he walked on this earth, but we can wash the feet of others in our lives. And we don't need to begin with strangers. There are people in your life who it's easy to avoid, who don't deserve your care and attention. And I'm not talking about people who are abusers and staying away from people who abuse you. That should be good. But just the people you just don't want to deal with. And God offers us this amazing gift of extravagant love, of seeing Jesus, not just in the poor and the oppressed, but seeing Jesus in our enemies. That's the power of the life. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not just that you should like, kind of be nice to people who are, who are mean, but that you should see Jesus in them. That's hard. And that doesn't mean you need to agree with everything they say, but you need to see them as a human, as a made in the image of God, as someone deserving of love. And they may spurn you. They may spit on you like Judas does. You know, Judas says the nard cost 300 denarii, and he sold Jesus out for a tenth of that. And yet still, Jesus kept him at his table. How can we open our tables and our homes and our hearts and our lives and the ways that we live for this extravagant generosity? Generosity of attention, generosity of love, generosity of wastefulness, of taking something that we have saved up for another thing and using it and being grateful for that. Don't judge about the past or the future. Love today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.